On this week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation, we sit down with Andy Bins, co-author of the new book, Corporate Explorer. Andy and I talk about the innovation imperative facing corporations today and what they can do to foster an entrepreneurial environment to create corporate explorers within their companies. Let's get started. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast to help new innovators navigate what's next. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat into what it takes to learn, grow, and thrive in today's world of accelerating change and uncertainty. Join us as we explore, engage, and experiment with the best and the brightest innovators, entrepreneurs, and pioneering businesses. It's time to get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today, we have Andy Bins. Andy is the co-founder of Change Logic and co-author of a new book called Corporate Explorer, How Corporations Beat Startups at the Innovation Game. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, Brian. Thanks very much for the invitation. I'm delighted to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show. You have been in this innovation space for a while with McKinsey and IBM, and now you have a new book called Corporate Explorer, which is exploring a lot of topics that I think are near and dear to the heart of a lot of our listeners is how can we, as corporations, become better at this whole innovation stuff? Why has innovation become so important for corporations to figure out? That is really actually the point, isn't it? And we try to open the book Corporate Explorer by saying, look, a lot of what we're talking about is really old. And it's been around forever, right? And even the notion of a corporate explorer didn't turn up in the last few years. You know, one of the earliest ones that I know of is the creation of the ATM machine. The ATM machine, Delarue, a UK-based currency printer, literally has the license to print money. And it's like, well, surely people want to access this differently. And this guy comes up with the notion of the ATM machine somewhere in Surrey in south of London with Barclays Bank in the 1960s. And this is a 300-year-old corporation. This can be done by corporations. But to your point, it's got more important. And it's got more important because we know that digital is there and it's transforming not only a business but an industry. You cannot safely sit within automotive and say, oh, those guys over in consumer devices no longer have anything to do with us. That's true there, but it's there in a dozen other industries you care to name. And so this notion of disruption that Clay Christensen taught us all about, it's kind of like it's present. We don't dispute it. And we certainly don't dispute it after the uh, last two years we've had, right? This high degree of uncertainty is present. And so a lot of corporations, even those who are doing really well today, I think, see that the dynamics of their industry are changing at such a pace that they can't ignore a bunch of different innovations, either because they want new revenue streams and or they need new capability. Both of these stories are going on. Yeah, they're being forced to. It's kind of spot on. We've got technology advancements that are coming on. We've got new changes in marketplaces. We've got a pandemic. All these things are colliding at once, requiring companies to think and act to move faster than they've ever had before. And yet we still find example after example of companies that are struggling with this and and overcoming obstacles that you would think that they'd be able to overcome because they have quite a few advantages from a corporate perspective. Absolutely. And that's why corporations beat startups at the innovation game. Now, they don't beat them every time. They may not even beat them, you know, half the time, but they do. And the point about assets is exactly why they do that, right? It's when you can leverage brand, customer access, technical capabilities, whatever it might be, then that's what's going to bring you faster. So let's dig into that a little bit more. What are the key advantages that corporations maybe aren't recognizing or aren't using 
to the fullest extent when they are wanting to do more innovation initiatives. One of the stories we tell in Corporate Explorer is that analog devices, a really strong technology innovation company, electrical engineers running around making phenomenal semiconductors, worrying about the speeds and feeds of their circuits. And then they start to observe a change in the world, particularly in industrial markets, where there's this opportunity to connect their sensors, accelerometers and various other ones, to the cloud and to use analytics to observe the functioning of the machine, right? It's a great space that a lot of startups are active in. And they build this product line around condition-based monitoring. They make some acquisitions to build it out so they can do acoustic sensing as well as motion and all the rest of it. But if you're a startup and you go in to tell this same solution, no one's ever heard of you. Mm -hmm. You go into analog devices, you're 60 years old, and your brand is based on never retiring a product and always meeting your supply commitments. It's a totally different conversation. So market access is a real opportunity in many cases for these corporations. And also, they can access customers in different ways because they matter as a supplier to a bunch of automotive industry clients or whatever it might be. So I think that's a big area. The other area is is sort of some of the permission to play. So another case that we give in Corporate Explorer is of the insurance company Unica in Austria, where they move into sort of a digital insurance product. And again, they already have the actuaries. They already designed the insurance product. They already have the licenses from mm-hmm. the relevant European authorities to sell insurance. So again, they can just move that a little bit faster when they are using these assets to make things happen. So having said that, corporations still aren't necessarily good at innovation. They stumble on the fact that a lot of times they get focused on executing and optimizing their existing business model for fear of messing up that apple cart. They don't necessarily take the next steps in that. How do you create that culture of innovation such that they are more willing to take risks and leverage those advantages they do have? We talk in the book about these being the silent killers of exploration, the term we borrowed from Mike Beer. And this silent killers is that actually there isn't a deliberate agenda to stop innovators. Sometimes it feels that way, but it's rarely the case. Mostly they're on autopilot. They're on autopilot because they're focused on the short term. They wanted to eliminate risk to the degree to which that's possible. They want to preserve the way they think business should be done, right? which is that power of sort of professional skills and identity, which has such an influence on corporations. And so I think what they need to do is to learn. It's a learning agenda for them. And I think we are their teachers. You are their teachers. The listeners on the podcast are their teachers. And what they've got to learn about is experimentation, moving Mm -hmm. in small increments rather than spending a lot, they need to spend little amounts so that they are in a position to find out where the markets are and where the opportunities lie. I think that they need to trust their corporate explorers, get off this notion that importing people who've been in a series of failed startups, that they're going to know how to get this done. It's very disrespectful for all the many people who've done fabulous work in startups and then moved to corporations and done spectacularly well. But why would you trust them? They failed, right? (laughs) The, The point is that inside the company, there are explorers and you need to give them the space, the license, vital. We talk about what license means to make that happen. And then finally, the corporate explorers themselves need to see themselves not simply as innovators, but also as leaders of change. 
too many innovators or potential corporate explorers in corporations go hide their project and try to get on with it without getting too much interference. And what they need to do is build a movement behind what they're doing. They need to win allies. They need to win advocates. They need to figure out how to get that movement going behind what they're doing so that when they hit roadblocks, which we know they always will, they have people who are willing to support them and explain what it means, why this is learning, not failure. If I had a criticism of our colleagues in that function in organizations is that sometimes they miss that change, mm-hmm. that human social building this network inside the company toolkit, which is actually one of those big things that's critical to success. So let's dig into the book a little bit, this idea of a corporate explorer. Can an average person within a company become a corporate explorer? Or is there a certain skill set or knowledge or, or mindset that's required? Talk a little bit about what it means to be a corporate explorer and tasks behind that. To a large degree, the corporate explorer is exactly the same as an entrepreneur. They see a problem in the world they want to solve. They're dissatisfied with something that's happening. We tell the story of Sarah Cafallo at Bosch. And Sarah's out hiking through the Andes, the lovely sounding image, right? And she gets home to the home of the people who are hosting her. And she says, I want to take a hot shower. Well, they don't have hot water in Peru. That's not something. So she then sets about how do we use Bosch's technology to create a solution to providing hot water? It could be Sarah and the, these other examples I gave the same. We tell the story of Balaji Bondili at Deloitte. He gets involved in the tsunami relief in Asia and he sees the power of the crowd. He's, ah, oh, the power of the crowd. This is something that could transform consulting. And like 10 years later, he gets into it, right? So there's this passion behind something in the world you think you can fix and some way you think you might be able to do something about. And that's true in entrepreneurs and in corporate explorers the same. What's different is this social ability. The corporate explorers that succeed are those that firstly can articulate a case in a way that gets attention. Mm-hmm. They're really good storytellers. They can bring the possibility and opportunity of what they're proposing to attention. And they do so not because they say, oh, we can just get a little bit better. Yeah, if you back me, it'll be, you know, there's a small piece of revenue that I can build. No, they've got ambition. They say, mm-hmm. this is transformative. And the thing is that that actually gets more senior attention than the safe, I can do a little bit better, because it starts to hit the scale of what a senior manager is interested in. So they do that really well. And then they build out this network of support around that idea so that they're able to then execute it and sustain it. That's the piece of difference is this great ambition and storytelling combined with the social network so that they're building. And I'll tell you, there's another thing, Brian, I've learned as I've met these people. I hope it comes out in the book as we tell their stories, is that they're humble. They don't mind if other people made them successful. You go around Vienna and my great friends at Unica Insurance, and there are a dozen people who think they help make Christian Curtis successful at building this digital community insurance product, ShareRisk. And he just has a way of making other people feel they played a role. That also is something, again, I think different from an Elon Musk um, that defines the great corporate explorer. It it sort of takes a community of leaders around it, not just those involved in the project or the venture themselves, but also the people who are going to be actively engaged in supporting it. If I'm in a corporation and I'm trying to understand and maybe even find the corporate explorers within my own Mm -hmm. walls and that and nurture and build that. Are there particular techniques or things that you've seen to help identify those corporate explorers within your company? And then what number of 
corporate exports do you really need to have an impact? I think there's a sort of the proactive and reactive, if you will, right? And the reactive model is simply, are you listening? Are you actually looking out for them? I'll tell mm-hmm. you, one of the most successful corporate explorers we talk about in the book is Jim Peck at LexisNexis, right? He built a multi-billion dollar business in 10 years inside an existing corporation, which does legal and news information. He builds this big data risk analytics business. And Jim saw the insight. He had the idea. He proposed. Nobody gave him the responsibility. Mm-hmm. This incidentally is true of Christian in, in Unica Insurance. Nobody gave him, here, go build me a billion dollar business. He proposed it. So there's a reactive side. And are you listening? Are you ready to cope with that? Ideally, do you have an ambition, a sort of strategic ambition that says, this is what we want to do? So that if I'm Jim or Christian in the business, I feel I have a license to propose those ideas. Right. One of the great examples is MasterCard, and uh, they had this ambition to wage a war on cash. That's actually a really empowering thing. It tells me I'm going to find ways of converting this big number, like at that point, 85% of transactions on cash to digital. I know, wow, those are the ideas. That's how I evaluate success, right? That reactive piece and that inspiring. The proactive thing is go looking for them. And I think there, your best bet is some sort of participative, competitive approach where you're focused on solving customer problems. What are the top 10 customer problems you want to solve Mm -hmm. in the world? And invite people to come up with ideas. And we can talk more about this. I think there's a problem in corporations of too much idea creation. But I think the, hey, how can we solve these customer problems? How can we add more value to different customer groups? What places are there where there are customer groups we've identified that may have problems we can grow into? That kind of thing is a great place to encourage people to participate and then step forward with their ideas. And then don't spend too much on any one idea. Startups run through scarcity, and so should corporate ventures. They should be and they should be begging for cash. As corporations in some cases are, they worry much more, particularly in Europe, I find, they worry much more about the size of their office and how big the team is that they can hire and all this kind of stuff, which is complete nonsense in comparison to have you validated the idea? Have you done enough to prove out whether there's really a market for it or not? Following on the incentives conversation, a lot of times we think, and you mentioned there's a lot of intrinsic incentives that seem to be in play for the corporate explorers that actually have success within that. How does a company think about incentivizing folks to raise their hand and say, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur within the walls, or, or I want to take my ideas forward? Are there things that seem to work better than others? It's a pretty complex area for sure. And there's a view out there, I think, that what we need to do in corporations is in some way mirror the rewards of the of a startup. So Intel had this approach, which actually ended after we published the book. And they said, okay, go and build a venture. We'll give you what you need. And if it reaches an external valuation of a billion dollars, we'll give you 10 million or a business unit will buy it out for 10 million. Didn't work. And it didn't work also, if you think about it, it introduces a perverse incentive to spin out the venture outside of the corporation. Mm. So you don't get the value from it because you're going to get far more on the open market than you are in the corporation. That's great for the individual corporate explorer or entrepreneur. It's lousy for the corporation. It's a flawed notion of incentives. And most of the people I've mentioned who've done this successfully are ones who actually have received very little additional compensation. Now, that doesn't mean that they haven't done very well for themselves. Because this is a great way to prove your career, to prove that you're a CEO. Jim Peck ended up being CEO not only of LexisNexis Risk, 
but also of two further corporations. He's now CEO of Nielsen IQ, market research firm. And Christian's career has blossomed, others have blossomed. There are real opportunities. It's just not the same as an entrepreneur. And so I think what we need to do is the issue is less about what we pay them and it's more about the environment we create that accepts, that explore businesses are different to the core business, that how you evaluate them, how you manage the fact that there is high degrees of uncertainty around how fast they'll generate a return. That's the point. And if you make it so that that's accepted and understood and well-managed, then your corporate explorers will emerge. If you make it, oh, you've got a great idea, I want to see a a five-year cash projection on how you're going to deliver the same margin as the core business, then you're going to throw them out, right? Right. You're going to eject them over time. That's really the, the area of incentive that I think we should focus on much more than the individual payment. So the next question I want to ask about is how do you know if you're making progress? How do you know if your corporation is getting more innovative? What are some key measurements or ways to know if you're making progress? You know, I think that it is for me about how many revenue generating businesses have you created? Again, there are some who would say this is about how many billion dollar external valuations. This is nonsense. I know that valuations matter. If I had a billion dollar corporation and I was selling it, putting in my money in my pocket, I'd be delighted and many people would, of course. But that's not what corporate life is about. It's something else. And so you've got to understand that that you're fulfilling different objectives. So I want to see that I've got revenue generating businesses that in the markets I define, I'm winning. We talk a lot about how if you're going down this path of creating new businesses, you want to have a really clear ambition like this wage of war on cash. And then you want to know what are the hunting zones you're going to play in in order to achieve it. So I want to know how many ventures have I got in my hunting zones and how many of those are on track towards the kind of revenue goals that I have for them or the kind of milestones that I need in order to get there. Because it's all about ideating, incubating, and scaling ventures. That's success. You know, activity is not success. And so I want to ultimately see that happening. And knowing that you can't bet on the winners at the very beginning, you have to have a portfolio of ideas that are coming through at all times so that you can see the progress with evidence and and bet on the ones that are moving forward. Absolutely. And this whole area of portfolio managing your innovation is something that I think is is critical. One of my Mm -hmm. colleagues, Noel Sobelman, talks a lot about this, and I think he's on the money in that. So last topic I want to talk about is we are in this great resignation and this area where people are moving around and trying different things and uh, the world has completely changed. What are your thoughts when it comes to retention or hiring of innovators and these corporate explorers? I think it's a tough moment for corporations one where they should be fairly concerned that they're going to lose their best talent. Because if you look at the stats, what goes side by side with great resignation is a record number of new business formations in the US. Some of those are going to set up coffee shops, coffee roasters, breweries, distilleries, people who are enjoying themselves doing something different from corporate life. But there's a large number which are people seeking to realize their entrepreneurial ambitions. And so if I'm a manager in a corporate business or a senior executive and I'm seeing this happen, I should be asking myself, why am I losing my most entrepreneurial talent when I could be using that to sponsor growth in my business? That's where I I think they need to. So all of the stuff we've talked about, about creating the license to explore, giving them customer problems to solve investing small amounts in making things happen and then scaling the ones that work. I think that actually is a key part. It's not the whole answer to this 
story of, of the great resignation, but it's a piece of it. And it also is about, you know, people want a future. They want to believe in something. They want a why. And doing new stuff, demonstrating, like in sustainability, is one of the interesting things is that most of the ideas, you know, we do a little bit of work, Wazuku, one of the idea management platforms. And Simon Hill Mizuku told me that more than half of the ideas on the Zuku platform across all of their client base has to do with sustainability right now. And people want to see you're making progress on something like that. And that's a, a story of innovation. How can you scale that to a level that actually has business impact? And I think, again, that creates purpose, commitment, a sense of being a part of something that matters. Again, a key lever that innovation can play into. Like you said, it's really never been a better time to tap into new and exciting projects. There's far more problems out there that people need solved and they're constantly changing. So you're in a, yeah. a good spot if you, again, encourage Absolutely. folks to uh, raise their hand and find those problems yeah. and, and have the ability to solve them. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Brian. Yeah, very well said. So Andy, I want to thank you for coming on Inside Outside Innovation. If people want to find out more about yourself or about the book, Corporate Explorer, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you could go to thecorporateexplorer.com or changelogic.com and learn about us, learn about our research. I've written this book with two professors, Mike Tushman from Harvard, Charles O'Reilly from Stanford. They've also written some other books on the topic, Lead and Disrupt, in its second edition is another excellent text to dig into this whole area of how corporations can win and do win at innovation. Excellent. Well, Andy, thanks again for coming on Inside Outside Innovation. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate your insights and look forward to continuing the conversation in the years to come. Likewise. Thanks, Brian. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.